Welcome back to the Touchdown Rundown, guys. I am your host, Tom Zwiller. Joining me, as always, is Tony Nemeni, my faithful co-host. Today's show is what we hope to establish as the start of a new show. It's our Wednesday show, so Mondays we're hoping to just recap the weekend's action, and then on Wednesdays recap the news, react to maybe some midweek news or injury reports, and discuss how they change outlooks for the teams involved in them. And then Friday we're going to do our classic pick'em show, and we might just do some college football in between. But today we're going to open with, what do you want to open with, Tony? We have a couple different topics. What do you want to open with? Um, I think we can just go ahead and uh, let's start with Rodrigo. Yeah, okay, so this is the the most interesting news of the weekend. I believe it was on Monday that Rodrigo Blankenship was just straight up cut by the Colts. He had a an odd performance. I believe he missed uh, the game-winning field goal that could have potentially prevented the game from going to overtime, but also had two kickoffs that went out of bounds, which, of course, is a penalty to the 40-yard line for the opposition, which gave tech, uh, the Texans really good field position. But I, I was just... I, I legitimately still am kind of shocked by the news. Yeah, I, it was kind of a surprise to me more than anything. Uh, like you said, I thought he was pretty decent for the Colts. No, he was not Justin Tucker. But he was a pretty okay kicker, and to cut him after week one, I think it's kind of strange. Um, yes, he did miss a field goal. He still went two of three with two extra points made as well. And like you said, he did kick those uh, balls out of bounds. That That is kind of a, a huge no-no. That's a really big penalty uh, if you do that. So I understand why they would be annoyed at that, plus he missed the kick. But let's also remember that this was kind of kicker meltdown week, was it not? Like, it happens every year. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's not even the worst kicking performance, arguably. Like, you could point to Evan McPherson, who I believe had had at least one, if not two, missed attempts that could have won the Bengals the game against the Steelers. I think the Steelers had a missed kick, too. Like, there were people missing kicks all over the, all over the place. I think the Panthers might have had a missed kick. Like, missed kicks were just a part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know... This, it, this was kind of that week, and kind of to your point with that his as of right now he made two of three field goals which means his kicking percentage is 66 points we'll call it seven percent as of right now in the nfl that is tied for 20th mm-hmm. i mean he's he's almost average after week one and you really shouldn't be cutting somebody who is average now you can maybe say like hey pick it up a little bit you know these are some kicks that you probably shouldn't miss we'll see how you go Give him till like maybe week five or six if he's still doing like really bad. But week one just seems really odd for me. I don't understand the move, and he's definitely going to be picked up somewhere else. I have no doubt that he's not going to be on the free agent or I guess the cut market for very long. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, he's not he's not even the worst ranking kicker. Like it's there's Randy Bullock for Tennessee, there's Will Lutz for New Orleans, there's McPherson for Cincinnati, Dustin Hopkins missed a kick that I must have missed. In fact, you know, he went two for one, so he arguably had a worse outing uh, as far as field goals are concerned. So I don't know. It's it's definitely an interesting piece of news. And yeah, I think that there is a strong chance that the Panthers pick him up just because I know that they're they didn't exactly love the the uh their kicker's outing either. Yeah, I mean, I would be interested in picking him up if I'm, like, I don't, as a Packers fan, I really don't want Mason Crosby to ever retire. I'd love him for for him to stay young forever, but he's getting up there. Mm-hmm. Would it be such a bad idea to just bring him in and see what he can do if you're like the Packers even, even if you're a team where your kicking game was fine. 
uh, this past week. You just have an aging kicker. Like this is a young guy who has some real potential and he has some experience with the Colts. Now he wasn't perfect. Uh, he did, you know, he wasn't perfect last year. Uh, in his career, he's 45 of 54 in all of his field goals, 83.3%. That's not bad really at all. He's one of four from uh, 50 plus. So that's something that probably needs to be kind of taken into account a little bit because 50 plus yarders are something that are a little bit more expected in today's day and age with the kind of the the era of the big leg kicker. Mm-hmm. Everybody's kind of expected to consistently hit something around 50, 55, maybe something like that. So that might be an issue. But other than that, he's been pretty solid. So I just think I don't understand it. And I don't know who who they're going to find that's really better as of right now. I could, you know, if we have to pick one landing spot before we change over to the next topic, I think he may go to the Jets because the Jets, I believe, have Greg Zorline, Greg the Leg, and he had a very disappointing, you know, uh, tenure in Dallas, and that's why he's, you know, <laughs> not in Dallas anymore. Um, so I think that there's a reasonable chance he he ends up in New York, honestly. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's entirely possible. Last year, I'm looking at his stats with the Cowboys. He was kicking 82.9%. Rodrigo's at 83.3. So he is technically a better kicker. So And he's just younger too. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's 10 years younger at the position, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. He'll definitely get picked up. I think the Jets are a good spot and the Panthers, you know, wouldn't be mad about that either. They I'm sure they would have him. Yeah, Zorline was one of the 50% kickers. So yeah, from this okay. weekend, so there's there's a chance, there's a chance. Always. All right. So let's move to the the next topic. Do you want to do the Broncos next? Yeah, do the Broncos. It needs yes. to be addressed. Yeah, so everyone and their grandmother has has talked about this already, so we're going to add our take on to it. So this was a, a weird situation. The Broncos had plenty of time. They were just under a minute left in the game with all three of their timeouts, and they had a fourth and five that they needed to convert on the Seahawks' forty six. Now, what they opted to do was kick a 64-yard field goal, of which NFL kickers all time are 2-35 and 35 from. So that is an incredibly low percentage. I believe that that's roughly 5%, whereas I would feel a lot more comfortable giving Russell Wilson the ball. So what gives? Because I was yelling at my TV while this happened. I... I have no idea what they were thinking in a number of ways. And it's not even it's not even so much that they decided to kick this ball and they didn't let Russ do it. Like that was completely the wrong move in my opinion. I think Russ should have had at least had the chance to convert this fourth down. Mm-hmm. It was that they 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 let the clock run and sometimes that's okay. Sometimes if you let the clock run you're going to try to make it look like you're going to get a playoff. You can maybe hope that you get an offsides on the defense, get five yards closer, 64 turns into 59. Your percentages go up a lot more if you're within 60 than outside of 60. So I can understand if you're trying to do that. But they didn't do that. They only actually started huddling up with maybe 15 seconds left on the play clock. When they got up to the line of scrimmage, everybody kind of looked confused. You can definitely tell they were not actually going to snap this ball. Mm-hmm. That's really what threw me off is you have three timeouts. Why not at least just use one to regroup? Why would you let the clock get to one and not even really try to get an offsides? It just doesn't make any sense. And then to call a timeout just to kick the field goal, McManus does have a big leg. Uh, He made one over 60 yards last year. 
But that was also his first make in four career attempts. So why would you even try it? You just paid Russ $250 million to play for you. So why would you not trust the guy that you just gave that much money to? He can't do his job if you don't even give him the chance to do the job. No, absolutely. And the craziest part is, like, you know, I do believe the McManus attempt that did go through from 60-plus yards was in Denver. Like, that is not an inconsequential fact. Yeah, absolutely. That it, like it you, is physically it, easier to kick yeah, in Denver. Yeah, will set their career longs in Denver because it's so much higher. There's so yeah, the much, elevation. Yeah, the elevation change really makes it easier to get those balls through. So if you're not in Denver, you should never be trying this, even if you have Greg the leg. Yeah, I mean, you know, even with Justin Tucker's record kick from, you know, a little bit longer than that distance, needed to bounce on the crossbar to go in. Like, that wasn't even a clean kick that sailed through. So it's it's just, it was insane. And, like, doing the math on this is kind of the, the more insane part. So if you look at the pro football reference probability calculator, the Broncos had a 31.8% chance to win the game from that spot. You know, fourth and five from the 46. Uh, so two o- over thirty five is about five percent. So we're gonna we're gonna say get rid of five percent that represents the kick. Denver would have had a twenty six percent chance of winning the game if they just went for it, you know. And that might seem low, but I do think that that number operates off of the historical fourth down conversion rate. Russell Wilson has a sixty eight point eight percent chance of converting fourth and five or fewer in his career. Like, there's no reason, like you said, Tony, like, they should have called a timeout, they should have gone, maybe, you know, you call a timeout, you try to draw them off, and then if you can't get them off, you go for it. Because the the threat was there, like, it was legitimately there. Seattle was, was very, very ready to defend that. And so, just by converting, like, assuming they do convert... The Broncos would have improved their chances from 32% to 54%, put themselves in a much more reasonable spot for a field goal, and their expected points would go from 0.2 to 2.85. That's a huge play, and I don't understand why you're taking a chance on a field goal that really is just is is immensely small, the expected points on that kick. Yeah, it, it really didn't make any sense to me at all, and I know, you know, you have... You have Nathaniel Hackett over in Denver now, and he was on the Packers, so I am familiar with him. Rodgers really liked him. He did really good things for us. He's just not making very good decisions as of right now. If you watch the – they had the alternate – the alternate um, – Oh, the uh, Peyton Manning cast? Yeah, Peyton Manning cast. That's what it is. They had the Peyton Manning cast going, and I watched – I wasn't watching it live, but I watched the rerun of that little clip. And it was very funny how Peyton Manning was trying to willing a, t- a timeout. He said it like seven times. All right, guys, maybe now we call a timeout and save some time. Or he made the tea with his hands. Yeah, he made it like a hundred times. And when they finally did call a timeout, he just he just put his head in his hands because that's all you can really do after something so dumb. The average viewer at home, the average Madden player, knows you have to call a timeout there. And I just don't understand why it wasn't done, and I don't think I ever will. Yeah, much like where the average Madden player has better clock management than Mike McCarthy does. Like I think every every player in their 
who had a controller who's familiar with playing Madden on a controller was like pressing the con- would have pressed the timeout button almost instantly. It's just it's it's insane, uh, you know. And he initially came out and said, "No, I made the right decision. I don't regret it. I would have kicked that every single time." And Russ backed him up. And then just today or yesterday, I believe late yesterday, he was like, "Yeah, you know what? I might have made the wrong decision." Like, I'm glad yeah. he realized it. It just took the entire landscape of sports media telling you that you did that horribly wrong for you to figure it out. If social media has to tell you you made the wrong decision and has to convince you that you made the wrong decision and you are an NFL coach, I don't think you should be an NFL coach. That's like a huge if – I'm, if I'm the GM of that team, that's a huge red flag for me because, yeah, you have you know McManus back there and he can get some, he can get, he can get some balls down there. I'm sure he can. But the odds of that happening are so slim. It's 4th and 5. It's not like it's 4th and 27 where it's like mm. unreasonable. Like this is a very reasonable conversion for a guy like Russell Wilson. And really that whole Broncos team is supposed to be so much better. Why would you not just like attempt it? Why would you even send him out? Because even McManus had to have been like, all right, dude, I don't know about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to imagine they have plays that are literally designed to just get them five yards. So I, I don't understand why you didn't pull up that play, uh, that page from your playbook. They should have. No, they really should have. And it may, you know, they may live to regret that game. Like in, in a division as tight as the AFC West, that game could be something we're coming back and looking at and saying, wow, Denver could have won this game here and they would have won, you know, they would have won the division or they would have made the playoffs or they would have, you know, be, you know, been 500. Like, it was a shocking result, and I do think it's going to come back to haunt them. It's fitting that it will be at Russ's old home stadium. Definitely. That, that That's what haunts them. All right, so let's move on to the next topic. So on Sunday Night Football, in a blowout loss to the Buccaneers, Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott broke his right thumb, which is, you know, go figure, his throwing hand. The original projection for Dak's return was six to eight weeks, though Jerry Jones said on a local Dallas radio show that it could be as soon as four weeks and he would not even be placed on the IR list. Assuming Dak comes back in six weeks, splitting the difference between the aggressive, you know, the aggressive four weeks and the longer term eight weeks, uh, you know, to, to make it even for analysis sake, you know, what does this mean for the Cowboys? Like, are we now dropping them as a playoff team? Are they no longer the division favorites? Like, are you know, do you believe in Cooper Rush because he pulled off a miracle against the Vikings? Like, what is the thought process here? Because I don't like the outlook for them. Honestly, and this is something that I don't, that I wish I didn't have to say. He's going to say it. I don't think the Dak injury really matters. He's going to say it. After what I saw him do in the game, I don't think... Don't say I, it. I care about you. Don't say don't, it believing in Dak Prescott. He's done! He's done! I waited this long, and I I fought for him the past two years when a lot of other people started doubting him. I held out, but here and now, I am done. I think the Eagles are going to win this division. I think the Eagles are the best team in this division. Mm -hmm. The Cowboys, with or without Dak, just looked absolutely abhorrent against the Buccaneers, and... I think it's over. I really don't think that this team wins. This team might not get second. Wow. Okay. Do you have the commanders now? I might have the commanders above them. It's close. Good Lord. It's close. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's surprising. I think, I think the commanders is surprising, though they, you know, if Carson Wentz cannot turn the ball over, I do think that the commanders have the potential to be a good team. So, you know, 
my analysis here really is that, like, I don't want to say that it matters less. I do think that basically every single game that the Cowboys walk into now, like, they are barely the favorite or the underdog. And we'll go we'll go through the schedule in a second. But to Tony's point, I'm not going to write Dakoff. I am just going to point out that bar, you know, Dalton, Dalton Schultz and, and C.D. Lamb, like, the Cowboys do not have a lot of pass-catching weapons. And so that was concerning. Like, that was the big takeaway for me in the Tampa game before, you know, it came out that Dak was injured. That, you know, the Cowboys do not look like a dynamic offense. No, they looked very, like, stagnant. Like, they could not get anything done. It was really strange to me. Um, One thing that I thought I could absolutely rely on was Dak may not throw a ton of touchdowns at times, but he seems like he's always the guy that's good for a lot of yards. He can always be relied on for the 300-yard game. He didn't do anything. He just could not get anything going. He could not complete passes. He could not mm-hmm. get yards. It was really, really painful, and I, I parlayed him. I'll admit it. I parlayed him. So that might have something to do with it because I'm on a real cold streak of parlays here, I'll let, let me tell you. But it was just it was painful to watch as somebody who's tried to believe in him for so long, and now this just happens. I do. Can we classify him as injury prone now? Is that something that we can say? I here's the thing. The thing is just is such a weird oddity that you know happens. It's a hazard of the occupation, right? That like you just hit your thumb on a helmet. I believe was the cause here. I don't want to say injury prone. Cause that, that's the I, thing I don't understand. It wasn't a helmet. It was a hand. It was a hand. Yeah, it was just a defense. He just a defender went to put his hand up, kind of in his face mm-hmm. thing, and he went in his follow through. He just caught his thumb on this guy's hand. That's why I don't understand why this is broken. It's yeah. that doesn't seem like something that should break a thumb, unless this guy's hand is he's got something packing under that glove. He's got some <laughs> cinder blocks under there. I don't know what's going on, but that was strange to me. If it was a helmet. I would write that off, but just a hand? Yeah, I mean, that that does change it a little bit. I don't want to say injury-prone because, like, 99% of his body is physically okay. It's just, like, the 1% that's really essential. So I think it's more of an unhappy accident than anything else. It's just unfortunate. I hope he comes back. I hope he proves me wrong. I just, I'm not going to fight for him anymore. I don't think he will. Yeah, so unfortunately for the Cowboys, you know, 538, we I like to use their projections. They do have a quarterback adjusted model. Dropped them to 7 and 10 to finish the season. So they went from being a strong contender to win the division. So now they have less than 25% chance to make the playoffs and less than 10% chance to win the division. Kurt, you know, but preseason the Cowboys had a 62% chance to make the playoffs and 37% chance to win the division and were projected to go 10 and 7. Wow. So like Dak being flips their win-loss. No, I mean it's it, you know, it's huge. And let's go through it now. Like let's operate under the assumption, you know, that it's a six, you know, a six-week injury. So they have the Bengals next week, win or loss. Loss. Yeah, at New York, which feels winnable. That feels winnable, but I don't know. For for now, it feels winnable. New York did actually put up a good fight against Tennessee, so it may not be winnable. I mean, they beat Tennessee, so. It, oh yeah, it, no, you know, I I I did not mean like to to say that they lost. I just meant that they physically were a strong team against against Tennessee. Like they were able to physically dominate them. Yeah, and I think they can do it again against the Cowboys, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Washington in Week Four. So that, I mean, look at that. They'll have three division games just within the span of time 
that they'll be because they have the Eagles later on in Week Six. Like there'll be three division games in in this injury span. Optimistically, right? Like that is that hugely detrimental. So Washington, I'm assuming we're going to say is a loss. Yeah. And then at Los Angeles, the Rams. Loss. Like that's a loss. Yeah. Then at Philadelphia, loss. You know. You know, now aggressively, Jerry Jones might say that he'll be back for Los Angeles or the Eagles, but I'm going to go with the six-week estimate to eight-week estimate. We can carry it out. They will have Detroit and Chicago, and those may be a little bit more winnable. Though I, I don't want to write either team out off. I, I, I don't feel comfortable writing either one of those teams off after the performances they had this weekend. Yeah, it could definitely be. This is not good for the Cowboys, obviously, but. I'm still going to say it. Even when Dak comes back, I don't think they're much better. I really don't. I, I think that Dak, I think Tampa Bay is going to do that to people. I think Tampa Bay is going to have a smothering secondary. They they can take people away, and they're going to be able to generate pressure still. So I think it's I think it's part it's part first game of the season, part Tampa Bay, part the Cowboys offense is going to look kind of putrid. Yeah, we'll see. They held him to under. They had on a forty-eight point three completion percentage, a hundred and thirty-four passing yards, with an interception yeah. and no touch. Yeah, no. Don't get me wrong. It was not a good performance. I do just think that like New York and Detroit and Chicago. I'm especially because they're home to Detroit and Chicago. I would give the Cowboys the favorite, but week seven or eight, I don't know what that looks like. And I'd be willing. Like if you told me right now, hey, it's week seven in, in the future, and I'm telling you right now. Detroit is a three-point favorite against against Dallas. I, it would not surprise me. Same with Chicago. Me, yeah, me neither. So yeah, the you know the, there is a conceivable world that when Dak returns to the uh, in Week Nine, which is the Cowboys' bye week, wow, like that they could be like one and eight. They could. They could you know, be one not not that's you know that's the worst outcome, right? But like one and seven. Or you know, excuse me, two and two and seven, two and six, some kind of disastrous outcome. I do think that this may have just killed the Cowboys' season almost instantly. Yeah, I think so. Which is is just think about that that fast the season can end. Um, all right, so let's turn to another injury. So it was reported on Sunday, I believe, after the Steelers game that T.J. Watt tore his pectoral muscle. Uh, it was an injury that. Uh, afflicted his brother a year ago. The play occurred, I believe he tackled Joe Burrow or went after Joe Burrow uh, to end regulation. And, you know, assuming that he is injured, because he is actually seeking a a second opinion, assuming he is injured and does need surgery, uh, you know, he would likely be put on IR. And, you know, assuming Watt does end up on IR, which is a long-term placement, you know, what does that mean for the Steelers? Because he is one of the most essential players on their defense. This is a huge injury for the Steelers. He has been and is still an absolute powerhouse for that defense. And he showed up against the Bengals. He really he he really didn't kind of delay any time showing up this season. He didn't start cold, nothing like that. He had one sack, an mm-hmm. interception, and six tackles in this game before his injury. So I'm not going to say that this injury like derails the Steelers defense by any means but it's going to make it a lot easier for offenses to buy time for their quarterback because they're not going to have to double and triple team one guy that opens up a lot of people that you can then use in other places and if offenses can buy time for their quarterback and let routes develop more for their receivers 
it's really going to be up to the secondary to lock down those receivers until Watt can come back and help close the pocket a lot quicker. If It's going to be up to the secondary is really what it comes down to. I think they can still generate sacks and they can get pressure uh, back in the pocket on a lot of quarterbacks. But it's going to be they're going to have an extra extra second or an extra you know mm-hmm. whatever length of time it's going to end up being. TJ Watt is that guy that you have to double team. So if you can free up people on the O line to block for those other guys that they have that you need to double team, that could be enough time to make the difference between a mm-hmm. sack and a sixty yard touchdown. Yeah, I mean, and and let's be real, like it is week one. We're still doing the overreactions and and not really getting good data. Right, it's the small sample size theater, but. I do think that this is this is kind of detrimental just because of how awful the Steelers' offense looks. And, you know, it was against the Bengals. Like, it's not exactly like I fear the Bengals' defense in any capacity. I know they have a pretty good run-stopping defense that was top five last year. But they, you know, I don't think they're going to exactly erase teams' offenses entirely. So the fact that the Steelers were that bad does make me concerned for the team. And now, you know, I think the Steelers' defense might have <laughs> probably scored just as much as... Uh, or was that Miami? Was that the Miami game? I believe that was the Miami ah, Okay, that was the Miami game. Then my bad. But I do think, it. you know, the Steelers' defense is going to be so important to that team. The fact that they have, you know, their, their most important player, their second most important player gone. You know, that... If, if not... I don't want to say it takes away their chances of making the playoffs, but I didn't give them a great chance to make it to begin with, so this definitely does hurt it. Yeah, I can agree with that. I don't know if I see them making it either. Yeah, I, you know, like I said, to be fair, I didn't have them making it to begin with. But <laughs> That is also true. I... Uh, all right, so let's move on to another star defensive player, though he plays a different position, so it'll be safety Jamal Adams. He was hurt during his game against Denver on Monday Night Football. He blitzed Russell Wilson, hit him, and then left the field, going first to the medical tent, then to a cart, and then into the stadium, and he did not return. Now, reportedly, it is a quadriceps tendon that was damaged. I you know, don't know the severity. I believe he's still getting an MRI, and those results have yet to be announced. Uh, but if it was the quadriceps tendon that was damaged, it could mean that Adams is gone for four to six months. So an optimistic person would have him back in the wild card weekend or the last regular season weekend of the playoffs. I mean, of the season, excuse me. Um, you know, and, and at the worst, it would be March, so he would just miss the rest of the season. So, Tony, for this, for Seattle, is this a big problem, a little problem, or not really a problem at all? I would say that it's definitely a problem. Uh, Blitz boy, as he is so uh, affectionately known as, after his what twenty twenty season when he had nine and a half sacks, he's he's an important guy in more than one way. So he can pass rush. Obviously, last year he didn't. Uh, he didn't really so much. I don't think he had any sacks last year. They had him kind of hang him back a lot more. They really wanted to help him really shore up the secondary. But he did connect with Wilson already this season, so it looks like they would have had him starting to kind of try to blitz again, just like the the stats of old that we would have seen. I think we would have seen a little bit more of. In 2020, like I said, he had 9.5 sacks and 83 tackles. That's that's quite a lot. That's a lot for a D line, really. That's a pretty good D lineman output. So, last season didn't really blitz as much. He had eighty seven tackles, which is a little bit more. Yeah. But he also and he was he was injured down for a significant part of the season too. Yeah, true. So, if you have him back in the secondary for a full season, he had two interceptions already. He only played you know a certain number of games, so he missed out on some time. He definitely would be would be a lot more effective there. 
if he was, you know, healthy, of course. So mm-hmm. you can kind of see him doing both things, right? He's shown that if you give him a full season healthy and you say, all right, I want to have you blitz here and really go for tackles and kind of watch for the run more than the pass, but you're in the secondary, I can do that. But if you say, I don't want you to blitz, I want you to hang back in the secondary, cover receivers just like your really job is, he says, I can do that as well. So he's a very versatile guy. He can do a lot of things. He's going to be missed by a team that really doesn't have a lot of other big-name guys on either side of the ball. So I do think it matters. I don't think this team was really going to be making any kind of a run anyways. So it doesn't, like, kill the season, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. But they are 1-0, and so who knows? Yeah, I mean, like... I definitely don't think that they were going to be 17 and 0, but after, you know, Monday, I also don't think they were going to be 0 and 17 either. So, I, I, you know, it, I think it is going to hurt them. You know, they they are capable of winning games still. I don't think that this eliminates the like they're not they're going to lose out for the rest of the season, but it is damaging for a team that I think did have playoff aspirations at least as far as Pete Carroll was concerned. You know, and Gino, and Gino Smith, don't tell don't tell Gino Smith you had them going 0 and 17. No, absolutely not. No, so it it is a shame. It weakens the defense, especially because you know the, the Seahawks were trying to utilize him more now that they had him back from last season's injury. So, you know, he's back for for one game and he's already gone. And they built a plan around the safeties. Yep. Well, it's yeah, definitely so. be hindering for that defense. Yeah. No, absolutely, without question. And you know, we'll see if the the Forty Niners can take advantage of it next week next weekend. We'll see. Yeah. All right, so we're going to wrap our show, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on Friday with our traditional pick'em show. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Bye.